Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Revelation chapter number four, I want to read verses five through eight tonight, and hopefully we can close our discussion on chapter four and move on. The Bible says in verse five, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass likened to crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come again our subject matter for uh, the past three times we met here on the book of revelation is activity around the throne this is part three c and uh we'll finish this up and move on uh, hopefully here tonight let's pray together father i'm thankful again lord for your spirit god even that we felt lord in a time of prayer tonight god before service grateful for the voices lord god that gave lord prayers and supplications to you lord before this service ever started i pray oh god help us now lord through the study of your word this book of revelation lord of end time things of last things lord grant us understanding tonight help us lord god just to feel after you lord that we could find something applicable lord for our own lives and we'll thank you and praise you and the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen everybody say amen you may be seated tonight in Jesus name out of the throne of God talking about activity around the throne well out of the throne the scripture said proceeded lightning thunderings and voices that came from the throne room of God and this would not be the only time that lightnings and thunderings and voices came from the throne room of God this would reoccur time and again throughout uh, the book of Revelation and most of the time they are associated with the throne they are associated with that throne room uh, of, of, of heaven however later in Revelation we read that not only do the lightnings and the thunderings and the voices are they related or associated with the throne room but they will also show up on the earth so they're not just contained to heaven but they will show up on the earth in Revelation 8 and verse number 5 the Bible speaks that there is a censer that is cast to the earth and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake and when we start talking about these these this this line of things of thunderings lightnings and voices we start talking about that you see the occurrence of that not just in new testament revelation scripture but again we look backwards to gain maybe a little bit of understanding we go to the old testament and there were some lightnings and thunderings and voices that happened in the old testament as well it should recall uh, to our minds uh, old testament story that happened and was centered around the Mount Sinai in the Old 
Testament, the Bible speaks of how the presence of the Lord descended upon that mountain and there were lightnings and there were thunderings. There was a thick cloud of smoke that enshrouded that mountain and there was the voice of a trumpet that was taking place there. And whenever this was happening, the nation of Israel was standing afar off. Uh, It was given the responsibility to Moses to make bounds around the base of that mount that the children of Israel were not to transgress past, not even the beast, or they would die, Scripture said. And so they were standing afar off. The Bible says plainly that they were afraid. I don't know uh, when's the last time you've seen a a mountain that's on smoke and there's lightning, thunderings, and voices coming from it, but I think that would be just a little peculiar, and they were afraid. But Moses tells them this. He gives them this admonition. He tells them, don't be afraid because God has come to prove you. He's come to prove you. The lightnings, the thunder, and all this, God has come to prove you. And he's caused his fear to come before you that you would not sin. You can find this story in Exodus chapter number 20. And so from Mount Sinai, if you remember Mount Sinai, it is that place also then that Moses, amen, was allowed to ascend up into Mount Sinai where all of this was taking place. And it's from there the Ten Commandments would come. It's from there that there are various laws that concern the nation of Israel would come. And the law for Israel was Israel's judgment. Because Israel didn't have any idea that they were sinning without a law. When you have a lawless land, anything goes. Doesn't matter. But the, one, the, the, the time that there is a law that is formed, you understand if you have transgressed or kept the law because of the law that is there. And so Mount Sinai and all the laws that were birthplaced from there was really somewhat of a judgment for Israel because now they knew if they were transgressing or not transgressing. And so what we're dealing with in the book of Revelation, these lightnings and thunderings and voices that's coming from the throne. Again, I've said this before, but I'll reiterate it till we're finished with this. We're not talking about in heaven now a throne of grace, but we're talking about a throne of judgment. Amen. If I could, it's proven time in heaven and earth at this particular juncture in the road of the book of Revelation. It's proven time. Amen. Judgment originates. The reason why later in Revelation 8, we see all that that happens in the throne, but then a censor is cast down to the earth and it's happening because judgment is going to initiate and originate from the throne room, but its real crosshairs is set up on the earth. Its real place of target is set up on the earth. The Bible says, here we are, activity around the throne, that there are seven lamps before the throne of God. And I think it's important to to note, not to be confused, there's seven lamps before the throne. It's not necessarily termed that there are seven candlesticks before the throne of God. If you'll remember, the seven candlesticks back in Revelation chapter 1 were the seven churches. But these are seven lamps Uh, those things that would normally be placed upon the candlesticks or the lampstands that was before the throne room of God. The Bible tells us plainly, though, we don't have to guess what these seven lamps are. The Bible says they are the seven spirits of God. Now, let's just stop, wait a minute, all right? Because the number seven isn't always in its literal sense as a number. The number seven sometimes is used figuratively throughout Scripture. Matter of fact, there's... 
used figuratively a lot sometimes, particularly in the book of Revelation, but it's used figuratively. The reason why I say that, because whenever you talk about the seven spirits of God, our mind, my mind at least, maybe not yours, my mind goes real quickly to John 4, where the Bible tells us that God is a spirit. What literally interpreted as God is spirit. And so whenever you talk about spirits of God, there's a little bit of concern, but we're not talking about a numerical value here, seven spirits of God, but seven representing many times as it does through Scripture, the fullness or the completeness of the Spirit of God. It may also be representing the omnipresence, if you will, of God. Verse 6 says, And before the throne, here's the activity, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. Now, in order for me uh, to paint this picture for you or for us, maybe to grasp a little understanding from this about this sea of glass that's before the throne room, uh, we got to understand the idea that Scripture conveys whenever we go to Old Testament tabernacle, Old Testament temple, that the Scripture conveys the earthly tabernacle and the earthly temple as nothing more but reflections of a heavenly pattern that what came up on the earth through a tabernacle and a temple was nothing but a reflection of a heavenly tabernacle and a heavenly temple. The Bible says in Hebrews 8 and verse 5, the scripture says, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shewed to thee in the mount. In other words, whenever God spoke to Moses on how to make the tabernacle, the pattern, the fashioning of it, the furniture of it, everything that was involved, he was given him a pattern that originated in heaven. He was given him a pattern that originated in heaven. So with that being stated, since the earthly temple and tabernacle was a reflection of the heavenly tabernacle and temple. We see then in the earthly that there is an ark of the covenant. Upon it is a mercy seat with cherubim on either side. And that was the place that God told Moses, I will appear in a cloud. I will meet with you and talk with you. In essence, on the earth, that place was God's throne, the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And that was the only place that he told Moses that he would come down and meet with him and speak from him, speak to him from, was right there, the mercy seat. That would be his solitary only throne in the tabernacle. And so we see in heaven, as we've already seen in chapter number one, that there's one throne that's there in heaven as well, in the heavenly. Well, if you consider them the golden candlestick that's in the earthly tabernacle. The Bible speaks that it had seven branches on it, if you will, that held seven lamps, all right? In Solomon's temple, there's the candlestick as well, although there's numerous of them. There's ten candlesticks, but still, each of them have seven branches that can bear forth seven lights. So in the heavenly pattern... We've already read tonight that before the throne of God were seven lamps 
that were before the throne of God, if you will, correlating with the candlestick of the earthly, that was the candlesticks, if you will, or the lamps of God in the heavenly that were before the throne room. Later in Revelation chapter number 8, we read that an angel that will come before the throne of God to, the Bible says, the golden altar in Revelation 8 and 3, and it was here that the angel will offer much incense, the Bible says, along with the prayers of the saints. And when we understand that, we know in the earthly tabernacle, before the veil, there was an altar of incense found both in the tabernacle and in the temple. What's going on here? What the earthly did was did nothing but mirror the heavenly. All right? And so whenever we come to this trait that I made mention of in verse number 6, and before the throne was a sea of glass, a sea of glass, this is another distinguishable trait that was found in the earthly abodes. All right? The Bible states it as a sea of glass. Later in Revelation chapter number 15, it's stated as a sea of glass that is mingled with fire. Now, let's just pause here for a moment. If we go back to 1 Kings chapter 7 and verse 23, referring to the time and to the temple of Solomon, the scripture says, and he, Solomon, made a molten sea, 10 cubits from one brim to the other. It was round all about. His height was five cubits. A line of 30 cubits did compass it round about. So in the temple of Solomon, there was a molten sea, and there were also ten lavers, all right? The, the purpose for the molten sea was for the priests to wash themselves in. The purpose for the ten lavers was for the washing of the sacrifices. In the tabernacle of Moses, there was one laver. It was for the washing of the priests. That laver was in the tabernacle of Moses. The laver that was made, we understand from Scripture, it was made from the looking glasses or the mirrors of the ladies. They brought their mirrors, they dedicated to the house of the Lord, and from their mirrors, which was brass that was burnished, they made the laver. Amen. And so we have all of that. What I'm trying to say tonight is this. Up in heaven, there is a sea of glass. We've seen the candlestick there, the candlestick here. We've seen the throne there, the throne here. We've seen the lamps and so on and so forth. We've seen the altar of incense there, the altar of incense here. The sea of glass, I presume, is nothing more but the labor in the heavenlies. The sea of glass. And another occurrence it's called, it was mingled with fire. Solomon's sea was a molten, what a fiery, if you will, sea. A fiery sea. And not only, if you consider the idea it's a sea of glass, you can go back to that first labor that was made from the looking glasses of the women, the mirrors, if you would like to do that. But another thing we need to consider, though, is what was the labor used for? What was the molten sea used for? Well, it was used for washing. The Old Testament cry for the labor was this, to wash with all. As one approached the labor, they looked down inside of that water, or even, if you will, the reflective ability of the looking glasses that it was made of, 
a priest could see their uncleanness, amen, in that water and in those looking glasses. And as a result of it, looking into there, they could make themselves better by washing with the water accordingly to get rid of the impurities that was upon them. But here the scripture says, if we can go through a different venue, is a sea of glass. If I can just go a different route with glass for a moment. Have you ever seen a lake or a body of water on a day when it wasn't windy and said to yourself, man, that just looks just like glass because there's no choppiness in the water. It is so still there is no agitated agitation. I'm just... I'm just posing this tonight. Could a sea of glass be, Bishop, that it was an area of peace and tranquility? It was a sea that had no motion, no agitation, no choppiness in it. Why do you say that? I say that because of this. The Bible says this is a labor in heaven. We're talking about its purpose was for washing. But this is in heaven. Are you listening to me? This is not on earth. This is in heaven. This is where those have went, have already went to their reward. And this thing is used for washing. You're listening to me. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. In that day, it will be a sea of glass because it will no longer, it, there's no necessity for the church to use it for any washing because we will be as he is. And what he is is sinless, untainted, pure, holy, righteous. It's a sea of no agitation. It's a sea of no motion, no choppiness because it's not being disturbed because it's not necessarily needed to be used because the church has come home and she's already been pre-qualified as without spot, without wrinkle or any such thing. Amen. And so continuing in verse six, if I may, and I'll read some verses again, but continuing, and in the midst of the throne, ran about the throne. Here we go. Back to the beast boys. We're four beasts, full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. These four had six, I'm not reading, but these four had six wings, eyes within and they don't rest day or night. They're crying, holy, holy, holy God, Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Now, first of all, these four around the throne are described in Revelation as beast. Now, there's something we need to note, that these are different from any other beast that we see pictured in the book of Revelation. Because other beasts that we see pictured in the book of Revelation are either associated with the man of sin, with the false prophet, some type of wickedness or some type of evil that's going on later in the book. These beasts are different than what we studied in the book of Daniel. We see these wild beasts or domesticated beasts and they're symbolizing kingdoms rising and falling. This is different from all that. 
Mr. Bloomfield says rather that that should be interpreted for living creatures and not beasts because in the Greek the word for beast actually means living ones so we're talking about four living ones or four living creatures not necessarily with the connotation what beast brings uh, to mind so they're living ones they 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 are brought to us and they are similar these four have likenesses to something that we can identify with they have likenesses to something we can identify with or at least some type of defining feature that we can identify with the Bible says the first was like a lion so we can picture that in our mind we know what a lion looks like the second was like a calf or also known as an ox it was we, we understand that the third one has a trait has a trait that is shared it doesn't say it has the likeness as man but it particularly says that its faith is as a man particularly talks about its face its face is as a man the fourth is described like a flying eagle and so the scripture in talking about these four creatures or four living ones all of these creatures were full of eyes that's amazing now that now you're getting creative with your imagination these creatures can you imagine a lion just has a lot has eyes all over the course of its body or, or a cap or ox with eyes all over the course of its body the bible says it's full of eyes before and behind it has eyes in front it has eyes in back if i may they could see ahead of them and they could see behind them they could see where they were going they could see where they were coming from if i could even break down for like this they could see into their future and they could see their past They had eyes that were before and behind. But the Bible also describes, uh, so no doubt with eyes, you know, our eyes are very important to us. They allow us to perceive things. And so these beings, uh, these, these creatures are very perceptive on what's going on around them because they have eyes everywhere. All right? In addition, though, the Bible says that they are full of eyes within. Now, that's a little creepy, you know. We all get, we, we love x-rays to be able to see those and when they take cam- cameras down inside of people, wow, that's awesome. Well, imagine just being able to see that all the time because you had eyes within. But not only were these four beasts perceptive creatures, but they were also introspective creatures. They could look inside of themselves. Now, uh, we have a pair of eyes, okay? And at times, they prove to be very distracting. I can't imagine if some of us had eyes before and behind us. Although there's some mothers that attested the fact, if you do that, I got eyes in the back of my head. I can't imagine if we, as humanity, had eyes before and eyes behind and had eyes within. I dare to say we wouldn't get much of anything accomplished because we would be too distracted by everything we saw. (laughs) Amen? But listen to me. These living ones, though, had a very good handle because of all these eyes on everything that was around them and within them. Look now. But there was only one thing that captivated their attention. Had all these eyes. Good, good, good feel for everything around them and within them. But there was only one thing that captivated their attention continually, day and night continually. And that was he who sat on the throne. Now, that is a miracle, ladies and gentlemen, because we have two eyes, and we're easily distracted with the two we have sometimes that takes our attention from the one who sits on the throne. But these four had eyes that could keep an eye on everything, pun intended, and within themselves, 
Yeah, you, you go looking introspectively sometimes what's going on inside of you. You get easily distracted. But these boys, their attention was captivated by he who sat on the throne. And particularly according to what they cried out, particularly the holiness aspect of he that sat on the throne. <laughs> we could literally say all eyes were on him. That's for sure. Amen. Now, if we can just go to Ezekiel chapter 1 because we have spoke before similarities, I might say, between Revelation 4, Ezekiel 1, and Isaiah 6. In Ezekiel chapter number 1, there are four living creatures, again, that have some type of interaction with the throne of God. Now, different from the book of Revelation. Maybe I need to get out my chart and draw a line in the ox tonight. I don't know. But different from the book of Revelation each of these four creatures had four faces. In the book of Revelation, they are described as each just having a face, but the ones in Ezekiel each have four faces. Each creature has four faces. And their descriptions are very similar to those in Revelation because each of the four faces, one was, you can read of in Ezekiel, was a lion, one was a man, one was an ox or a calf, same, same, same uh, root, and an eagle all the four faces of each one had the same different four faces of those in revelation so they're very similar with two of their wings in ezekiel the bible says with two of their wings they covered their bodies in ezekiel 1 11. but it seems maybe two wings it was per side that covered their bodies because the bible says later in verse 23 everyone had two which covered on this side and everyone had two which covered on that side their bodies so these beings had four faces lion ox man eagle and they had four wings two of them whenever they weren't flying would cover one side of their body and two of them would cover the other side of their body but folks it's unclear i can't confidently say that these are in fact ones the same beings just for some of the differences i've already mentioned amen i don't know if they are the same living creatures found in revelation Amen. Again, because in Revelation, these creatures seem to have just one likeness, not four faces. And also, in the book of Revelation, they have six wings, and Ezekiel, they only have four wings. Nevertheless, if they're not the same, there are some definite similarities between the two because they are found in the midst and round about the throne. And Ezekiel, they are found round about the throne almost, if you'd read in verse 26, as supporting the throne. And so we can gather a little bit more information about these creatures in Ezekiel chapters 1, 2, and 10, but there's a definitive answer found in Ezekiel 10, verse number 20. I'll read 20 through 22. The Bible says, This is the living creature, Ezekiel is saying, that I saw under the God of Israel by the river Chabar, I knew that they were cherubims. Ezekiel emphatically says these four beasts that had four faces and four wings are cherubims. He said everyone had four faces apiece and everyone four wings and the likeness of the hands of man was under their wings and the likeness of their faces was the same faces which I saw by the river Chabar which we read in Ezekiel chapter number one their appearances and themselves and they went everyone straight forward. So, there's similarities. I don't know if they're exactly the same, but there's similarities. Now going on to Isaiah chapter number six, in the year that King Uzziah died, and Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. 
and he begins to speak then about seraphims. Not cherubims, but seraphims. We're not told how many seraphims Isaiah sees. All right, so he doesn't say there's four. We're not told how many he sees, but there must be more than one or he wouldn't use the plurality of seraphims. But each of these seraphim had six wings according to Isaiah, which is the same number of wings that these creatures had in the book of Revelation. The Bible says Isaiah said that the seraphims with twain were with two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they did fly. And so that's what they used their six wings for. Again, though, in Ezekiel, there was only four wings. So Isaiah, though, records, here's the similarity with Revelation, Isaiah records the seraphims, they're hollering, holy, 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 which is the same cry that these four beasts in the book of Revelation cry, holy, 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 holy. Now, again, we are not given any description concerning the seraphims except their wings. So again, I tell you, I'm not totally clear if the four creatures in Revelation are cherubim or if they're seraphims or if they're a mixed bag of the two, but they do hold similarities regardless they must be somewhat heavenly and there's something that I find in about the seraphims again, they have a close connection with the throne. They are found above the throne. So whether it's cherubim, whether it's seraphims, or whether it's the four beasts that are in the book of Revelation, amen, in each of these instances, these creatures are intimately associated with the throne and with the presence of the Lord. I think that's the major point to get through, that these things are intimately associated with the presence of the Lord. They're intimately associated with the throne of God. Now, when we talk about the lion, the ox, the calf and the man now some scholars say and I just want to debunk something but some scholars say that these uh, four things of the lion and the ox and the eagle and the man were also around about the tabernacle on banners in ancient Israel whenever the tribes would settle whenever uh, the tabernacle would come to a staying spot three tribes would be on the north three tribes on the south three on the east three on the west so on and so forth and there would be a, 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 a more a tribe with, with more notoriety, if you will, whose standard would represent all three on each side. And the, on the north, south, east, and west, this would happen. On one of the sides, among them would be the tribe of Judah, all right? On one of, the, one of the sides would be the tribe of Ephraim with the other two. On one of the sides would be Reuben with two other tribes. On one of the sides would be Dan with two other tribes. Now... It is biblical according to God's word that this did happen. It is biblical according to God's word. It was three on each side and what tribes were on each side. But scholars say that the tribe of Judah had the standard of a lion, the tribe of Ephraim the standard of an ox, the tribe of Reuben the standard of a man, and the tribe of Dan the, the, the symbol or standard of an eagle. Well, that being each of those tribes' thing is only Jewish tradition you will not find the biblical premise for all of them. Now, you can validate a few of them. Is, some, is everybody still, I should have got out the board, I know. Whenever, whenever we look at these each, we consider the tribe of Judah, it being the tribe of the lion, I get that. Because whenever Jacob is blessing his sons, he speaks of Judah being like a lion. 
I get Reuben's standard perhaps being the standard of a man because he was his father's firstborn and unstable as water, which was indicative, if you will, of man. I get that. I even get Ephraim being an ox or a calf because of Deuteronomy 22, 17 in describing, in describing Ephraim and his brother Manasseh who were the sons of Joseph. The Bible speaks that he was the firstling of his bullock, which is basically an ox, all right, relating to Ephraim. But I have a hard time equating Dan with an eagle because in Genesis 49, whenever Jacob's pronouncing his blessing upon his sons, Daniel, or Dan rather, is represented plainly as a serpent. But the scholars say it's an eagle. Well, they try to stretch a meaning a little bit. They just look at a snake as something being ready to strike and say, well, eagle's always ready to strike two and blah, blah, blah. And so according to tradition, again, this is just basically, this is not biblical, this is tradition. Tradition says that Dan's son substituted the eagle for the serpent because he didn't really want to carry a snake on his flag. And so what I'm saying is I don't know if we can necessarily put any stock in the parallel of the different standards around about the tabernacle correlating with the ox and the man, and the lion, all right, and the eagle around the throne room of God. However, whenever I do turn to Genesis 9 and verse number 9, and I'm trying to hurry along here tonight. Somebody wants to go get some grease uptown. Shake, shaking her head. That's going on podcast, I'm not editing it. Genesis chapter number 9 and verse number 9. The Bible says, and I behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your seed after you. He's talking to Noah. God is. I established my covenant with you and with your seed after you. Everybody say man. And with every living creature that is with you, Noah. And then he breaks down what the divisions of these living creatures with Noah are. He says of the fowl, you know what the king of the birds are? The eagle. Of cattle, do you know what some of the king of the domesticated animals are? Cattle, ox, if you will, of that category. And he says, and of every beast, referring to just the wild animals. Who's the king of the wild? The lion of the earth with you from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. Now, what's interesting, we see these same divisions in the book of creation, Genesis chapter number one. We see these same divisions. We don't see here whenever he's speaking to Noah, we don't see him speaking anything about the fish of the sea because the world was destroyed with water and that was their habitat. All right? So they weren't with Noah in the ark. <laughs> they had plenty of water, all right? They had plenty of water to contend with. So we see, though, these four divisions that he speaks of as every living creature. I'm just posing this again as a possibility there's a lot that we don't know when we come to revelation all i can do is theorize and postulate now there are other people who say this is thus and so but they're just lying through their teeth they think it's so it may not be time will tell it may be possible that these four likenesses of these creatures around about the throne could it be that they could be somewhat of a symbolic just like the 24 elders that we postulated could be symbolic of god's creation from these different kingdoms and animal kingdoms as we even seen in the first book of Genesis, in the first chapter, every other living thing found safety in the ark, of course, except again for the fish because they had plenty of water. And don't forget, we've already seen in our study of, of Revelation 4, the rainbow that was there. 
Remember? So is it possible for these four creatures around the throne, could they be a general representation of all creation? I don't know. Maybe possibly. Amen. But one thing's for sure, going back to the four, these four beasts or living ones, in addition to them being intimately tied to the throne or the presence of God, we can note that they appear also to be concerned about the holiness. Everybody say holiness. The holiness of God. They are in God's presence and I submit that they are guarding His holiness. Their cry is holy, holy, holy. That cry just as well could have been mercy, mercy, mercy. Grace, grace, grace. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Justice, justice, justice. Love, love, love. Whatever, but it wasn't. Their cry was holy, Holy, holy. As a matter of fact, this is the only time that you'll see an attribute of God repeated three times anywhere in Scripture. And it's all talking about His holiness. Holy, holy, holy. Now just, just lean in. Because folks, if you don't stay with me in Revelation, you, you're not going to make the rapture. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Amen. At the will of the people, we are where we are. Remember... Again, we're going back to this cherubim, seraphim thing. These other beings that are closely connected with the throne and with the presence of God. If you'll remember back in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve transgressed. They were expulsed from the garden. The Bible says there was a cherubim that was set at the gate of the east of the Garden of Eden to garden, to, to not garden, but to guard the way of the tree of life. Why? Because the tree of life was unique. The tree of life was sacred. We find later the tree of life in heaven. All right? They were to guard it. If I could say it like this, they were to guard the holiness of it. What do you mean holiness? Holiness is nothing more but set apart. The set-apartedness of it, the separatedness of it, the distinction of it. They were to, there to guard the holiness, if you will, of the tree of life. The seraphims in Isaiah chapter 6 that were crying holy, holy, holy and testifying of his holiness. They were guarding, I believe, the holiness of God and their proclamation was so pure, amen, in doing so that the prophet Isaiah, even in their presence, says, what? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. In light of what? The holiness of he that sits on the throne. They were around the throne crying that. Amen. There was the one that sat on the throne. Christ that sat on the throne. They were guarding, attending to the holiness of God. You see them connected with the throne. You see them connected with his presence. And they are concerned about his holiness. Amen. And so whenever I see these beings, whatever they be, cherubim, seraphim, or whatever, they are also connected with the throne in Revelation, and they are concerned with the holiness of God as well, his separatedness, his distinction. Amen? With all that, and this is kind of a, a side item to the meal, all right? I begin to think it is no wonder, ladies, listen to me, it is no wonder that in 1 Corinthians 11, the Bible says that women have power on their heads because of the angels. Because long hair in 1 Corinthians 11 had to do with headship and it had to do with distinction, holiness. And anywhere there is holiness, 
you'll have the angelic guarding it. That's what sets the church apart from every other church. Because when she's holy as he's holy, any time there can be an angelic visitation because where holiness is, the holy heavenly beings are around guarding, protecting, and safeguarding. You say, well, what's, and I know this is a side note, but what's the big deal with all the separating this and distinction? I'll tell you what the big deal is. Whenever you take that and own that in your life, you have heavenly beings walking with you in your walk and in your, your way of life. But if you don't, Forget it. They have nothing to guard if you're not upholding a distinction and a separatedness. It says we have power on our heads because of the angels. Yes, you do. The power is there because you kept a law of holiness there upon your head and the angel said, I'm going to guard that just like I guarded on the throne, just like I guarded in Eden. I'm going to guard that. Now you'd think that that was my thrust tonight, but that's just a side item here this evening. Amen. Verse 9. We're going to get there. I'm not quitting until it happens. I'm good for an hour 30 if I have to. At least an hour 10. I don't think I've went too many times over an hour 10. Maybe by a second or two. Verse 9. And when those beasts, what beasts? Those four, ox, lion, man, eagle. When those four beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever, ever, forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, again, just the pos- the, 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 what I, uh, I just posed as being a possibility here. If, and I concentrate on that if, if these four beasts are representation of creation, one thing is for certain. They are found throughout Revelation in more than just occurrence. They are found worshiping. In this first mention or this first instance in Revelations 4, note that it, are, it is the four beasts that initiate the worship. Because the Bible says, look at it now, when those beasts gave glory and honor, who followed suit? The 24 elders fell down and worshiped as well. In every other instance after this, you see basically it's described as, as the four beasts and the 24 elders falling down and almost seem at the same time or simultaneously and worshiping rather than it's in succession. But the first time that it ever took place and happened, it was initiated by the four beasts. In chapter 5, the four beasts and the 24 elders, they're found worshiping the revelation. The four beasts and the 24 elders fell down, which is the notable posture for worship. Later it says they fell down in worship. Toward the end in chapter number 19 of Revelation, the 24 elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped what? The God that sat on the throne. So if the beasts represent all creation and if, as we postulated before, the 24 elders represent the church, 
Then at first, the first initiation, whenever all creation gave honor and glory, the church gave honor and glory. And this gives me, and this, this is just me. This is Paul McGee, all right? This is my brain. This is how it works. Never get inside my head. Amen. Because it's a constant circus. But it gave me a little insight then in Luke 19.40 whenever Jesus is coming in in his triumphal entry and the multitudes of the disciples began to praise God and they began to rejoice and the Pharisees looked at him and said you need to rebuke your disciples that they would hold their peace and the Bible says in Luke 19 and verse 40 and I'm, I'm hastening to a close and we're doing well and he answered and said to them I tell you that if these should hold their peace if the multitude of these disciples if the church that I got right now if I could say hold their peace he said the stones would immediately cry out if these hold their peace the stones will cry out and let me tell you what happens at least from what I gather from revelation whenever creation cries out there's a chain reaction it causes the church to cry out whenever creation is capable of falling down and worshiping and capable of giving allegiance then the church just follows suit and it gives allegiance as well Amen. Because we are his just as much as anything that he has created. The Bible told us there in Revelation, the last chapter, for thou hast created all things. He created this thing called the church. Just as much as he created a lion and a bear and a stone, he created this thing called the church. And so if all the divisions of creation are going to fall down and worship, the church is going to fall down and worship because they are on the same plane. They are the creation of God. And look what Scripture says, and I'm closing here, I'm going. For thou hast created all things, the Bible says, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. The major reason given here in Revelation why we, all creation, are and were created, look what it says, it was for his pleasure. Listen to me. I just got one last point to make. I want all eyes up here. Whenever we cease from bringing pleasure to the Lord, we've ignored the purpose for which we were created. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you, and have a blessed day.